Welcome to Wisdom Trek with Gramps. I am Guthrie Chamberlain and we are on day 2236 of our trek. The purpose of Wisdom Trek is to create a legacy of wisdom, to seek out discernment and insights, and to boldly grow where few have chosen to grow before. We are continuing the messages I delivered at Putnam Congregational Church over the past couple of years. This is the fifth of a 25-week message series covering the book of Hebrews. This message is titled, Beware of a Hard Heart. I pray that it will be a conduit of learning and encouragement for you. Last week, we continued our extended series on the book of Hebrews, which is located in the New Testament. And we explored how Messiah, that is Jesus Christ, is greater than Moses. And today we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19, and we're warned about having, as Chris explained in the children's message, a hard heart. As we read this passage, look for references where it refers to unbelief. <coughs> and remember the concept of believing loyalty. So let's begin our reading today. It's on page 1865 of your pew Bibles. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear his voice... Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may have be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to our original conviction firmly to the very end, as has just been said. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they that heard and rebelled? Were they not all that Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry with for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? So, we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Now, warning signs and signals bombard us every day. From the simple notification of our smartphone whether we get a notification of a battery being dead, to other warning signs we get on a daily basis. And I have just a few here, such as falling rocks as you're driving along those mountainous roads in West Virginia. Speed zone ahead. End of the road. And Paula says, I don't know if I've ever seen an end of the road sign before. Well, we see one now. I also saw one that said, the road ends at water. I suppose that would be along the coast somewhere. Caution, slippery when wet, slow, children at play. And we see these signs and we wonder, why are they warning us? But they have a purpose behind each of these. We also are confronted with constant beeps and buzzes and bells and blaring horns as they put the sewer into, into Vola. We're all the time hearing beeping of these trucks backing up and, and performing their work that's necessary. They keep us up to date of impending doom. And it's easy to miss or become accustomed to those alarms that are in place to protect us from harm. But most of us can probably attest one of the most annoying alarms 
you wake up in the morning? Oop. How many of you, though, smack the snooze button, said, I'm just not ready to get up yet? And we silence those alarms that are there for a purpose, to warn us, to tell us of something we need to be aware of. Now, firmly planted along the winding path in the letter to Hebrews are several passages of stern warnings. They aren't optional suggestions or simple advice or false alarms. Instead, they're truly and timely announcements of real danger and the potential perils of our Christian faith and life. The same word, message, blares loud and clear. It says, beware. And that's what the author of Hebrews wants to inform us of today. And we've already seen the first warning sign in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, where one of the verses says, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away like a boat drifting aimlessly. The author invites us to slow down and observe a second warning in the following passage. And the warning today is, beware of a hard heart. In this message, too many of us neglect it. It's one that we all need to hear from time to time, or we may end up careening off the road of our Christian life and faith of hope and love. As we look at verses 7 through 11, given the Jewish background of the audience that the author wrote, of Hebrews wrote to, the author is always eager to add or summons the testimony of the Old Testament, because that was their Bible back then. That's all they had. They didn't have the gospel writers and the letters from Paul, all they had was the Old Testament to, dra to draw from. The languages and images would have been immediately familiar with every one of that audience of the Hebrews that were, the letter was written to. And it's something they understood that we as Gentiles today have a hard time grasping. That's what I said last week. Put on the mindset of the ancient Hebrew that this letter was written to. So you'd be looking through their eyes and understanding it from their perspective. The Old Testament text woven is throughout, woven throughout this passage. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 11 is actually an adaptation of Psalm chapter 95, verses 7 through 11, the same verse structure. We don't know who the original human was that wrote the Psalm 95, but we do know, as the author Hebrews attributed it to, the writer of that was the Holy Spirit who stands as the divine author behind every single book in the Bible, every word of Scripture, as 2 Timothy chapter 3.16 tells us, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong with our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Now, if you look at your bulletin insert today, the side with the map on it, it says, beware of a hard heart there. Don't lose your way when following Jesus. As Israel left Egypt and traveled across that Sinai Peninsula toward Mount Sinai, the Israelites traveled, were traveling to the Promised Land, but they failed to enter it the first time they arrived at the Promised Land. They wandered around because of their unbelief for another 40 years before they finally made it back to Canaan. Now, when the Holy Spirit inspired the words of Psalm 95, he inspired the author to point back to Israel's continual wilderness wanderings that are recorded in the book of Numbers. The people of Israel had recently delivered from the bondage of Egypt. They had passed through the Red Sea where God parted the waters and they walked through on dry land. 
the miracles they must have seen and experienced. They headed for Canaan to take possession of that land, promised land that God specifically set aside for his chosen people, his covenant people. Now, if they would have gone, if on your map, would have gone on along the way to sure the way to the land of the Philistines, it would have only taken two weeks. Now, God did direct him down to Mount Sinai so he could give him the law, but that was just a short stop over before entering the promised land. But they ignored that. But sin against God and their hardness of their heart led them to a 40-year journey in the wilderness. Now, neither a map, nor a compass, nor a GPS would have done these Hebrews any good. They hadn't simply lost sight of the road. They had lost sight of their God. Their problem was a heart condition. Instead of having their hearts softened by God's unspeakable power and glory and being overwhelmed by this goodness and mercy toward them, they grew numb toward God. They grew tough and not tender. They grew rough and not responsive. They grew hardened and not humbled. The embarrassing scar on the history of God's covenant people would be a painful reminder of the effects of a hardened heart. And although those tragic events of rebellion in the wilderness had occurred centuries earlier from when the letter of Hebrews was written, the author of Hebrews brought to bear on those people of his day what he saw strikingly similar tendencies toward that dullness and hearing and a hardened heart. And we're not immune from that today. God knew that the Israelites needed their faith to be refined and tested just as they went into the promised land. And God had shown his people over and over again that he would be the one to guide them through that wilderness and would also provide everything that they needed. But sadly, they repeatedly failed to trust the Lord. And we see in Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, instead of responding by faith and obedience, the Israelites grumbled against Moses, God's chosen mediator, God's chosen prophet for them. Moses' response showed them that they were not rebelling against him as a person, but against God. In Exodus 17, verse 2, it says, Why are you complaining against me, and why are you testing the Lord? In light of complaining, Moses named that area Massa and Meribah. In Exodus 17, 7, the words mean to test and to argue. It was demonstrated the hard-heartedness of the Israelites of that day. And the author of Hebrews refers to Psalm 95 to relate to his audience of what they were to do. And if you look at the bottom graphic there below the map, it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. It's the danger of unbelief. It's not the danger of sinning because we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God, but it's the danger of turning our backs on God and saying, I don't want anything to do with you, God. I want to do it myself. Another test came when the people wandering in the wilderness stopped over at Kadesh Barnea after receiving the law at Mount Sinai. God instructed them to send spies into the land to size up the people, their cities, and their fortifications. Not that they needed to gather the intelligence to determine whether they wanted to go into the land. God had already told them to go into the land. No, they were doing reconnaissance to determine how best to carry out that operation of going into that land. But the spies, they came back 
10 of the 12 came back, other than Joshua and Caleb. They came back and they said, we can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are in Numbers 13, 31. Instead, they should have responded, God got us out of Egypt. God can get us into Canaan. But they didn't. They buckled under the fear of standing, instead of standing firm in their faith. So persuasive were the 10 spies to the people of Israel that day, to those Hebrew people in Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, it says, Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If we had only died in Egypt and even here in the wilderness, they complained. They rebelled against the Lord, fearing the people of Canaan more than they feared the Lord, as we're told in Numbers chapter 14, verse 9. What was God's response to the Israelites and their failure to trust him, to believe in him? Well, he drew a line in the sand. He wouldn't tolerate any more of their incessant murmuring, their rebellion, their complaining. They had cried out, if only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness. But God responded in Numbers chapter 14, verses 28 and 29. Now tell them this. He was referring to Moses. He says, now tell them this. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do the very things that you, I heard you say. You, all of you will drop dead in the wilderness because you complained against me, every one of you who are 20 years or older and was included in the registration will die. You see, God takes the hardening of our hearts seriously. We look back at Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. It refers to those two episodes of those hard-heartedness in the history of Israel. The author Hebrew uses the warning to drive home this crucial point. When faced with trials and tribulations, which we all will face, when life appears that it will completely consume us and we can't go on on our own, we need to trust in God, who alone will give us rest, as we're told in Hebrews 3, verse 11. And the emphasis of 7 through 11, these verses, is God's disdain for a hardened heart. And the message is clear. If God disciplined the people in the Old Testament for their lack of faith or their lack of belief, they chose to disbelieve God, to turn their backs on God, then the New Testament people were also subject to the same discipline. Refer back to that image at the bottom of your bulletin insert. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. It's the danger of unbelief, not the danger of falling and sinning, because we will all do that, but if we turn our back and re on God and reject him completely, that is what he's warning us against here. As we move on to verses 12 through 19, in his appeal and the application to the readers, the writer of Hebrews highlights both the first and the last word in the quotation from Psalm 95. And those words are today and rest. The first word underscores the urgency of the warning to the audience. Those who hear the Spirit's voice through the Jewish scriptures and the authority of the divinely inspired writings need to heed the warning and learn from the examples of the past. When do we need to learn that? We need to learn that today. Not tomorrow, not next week, not postpone it until we have all the pros and cons and compare the cultural context of the ancient Israelites to our modern day world. The moment we hear God speak, the moment is when we should respond. The moment we realize that we have fallen is the moment that we turn to the Lord and says, I'm sorry, he's already forgiven us. 
We just go to him and say, I'm sorry, Lord. I come back before you humble in my, my heart and my spirit. To delay that humbleness before God is to allow hard-heartedness to set in, like rigor mortis, mortis in our faith and our obedience. It's like a lifeless corpse ready for burial. Now, the stern warning to the Hebrew believers in verse 12, like the Old Testament counterparts, they ran the risk of being coddled too much. Verses 12 and 13 says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And just as the word of God comes to us fresh every day, his mercies are new to us, as it says in Lamentations, but so is the opportunity for us to reject that and harden our hearts against him. If we turn away from God's toward-heartedness of our heart, it begins on an individual level. It says that in verse 12, that none of you individually turn away from God. And the cure from the calcification of that heart is the corporate body, the church. In verse 14, it says, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. And you know what? Today is today. Every day we live is today. And God's telling us, encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. We come to share in Christ in verse 14. And though we trust in him and as individual sinners, the moment we believe we're baptized into the body of Christ, we become members one with another. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share that same spirit. The demonstration of our genuine relationship with Christ is in verse 14. If indeed we hold to our original conviction firmly to the very end. Now on the surface of the statement, it may sound like staying strong and remaining firm in our faith until the end is a part that we have to play in maintaining our relationship with Christ. We may think that if I don't remain firm, then Jesus is going to boot me out of God's family. But I cannot emphasize enough that our acceptance before God is not based on our performance, but on Christ's performance. Our belief in Christ is what allows us access to God. It's not our performance on a daily basis, but our belief in Christ gives us access to God. It's more likely that this statement in verse 14 is the same reference as verse 6 of chapter 3. It says, if indeed we hold firmly to the confidence and the hope in which we glory. The idea there, as well as this verse today, is that the outcome of our lives demonstrates the validity of our claim. We claim to be a believer, a Christian, is our life showing that claim that we've made. Continuance in our faith is the ultimate proof of the reality of our faith. That is what believing loyalty is about. If we believe, we will be loyal to God. Our loyalty will show that we believe. They're tied intricately together, but it's not based on our goodness as acceptance before God, but on our belief that Christ is our means to God. 
Now, in verse 14, it reminds us that we're not meant to be spectators, but rather participants in the arena of our Christian life. To use a football analogy, if we're blocked and tackled by temptations and trials and sins, which we will be, we must always keep our orientation toward that end zone to focus on the master, toward that goalpost, which is our master. And this is where the, the Israelites in the wilderness went wrong. They lost grip of God's promise. They abandoned his commands. Instead of heading straight to that goal line, they wandered off into the wilderness. As a result, they failed to enter the rest that God had promised them because of their wanderings and their trials. That rest was their promised land. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 8, he gives a little bit of description here. It says, to their own fertile and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. But they all died in the wilderness of Sinai instead. The out, their outcome is a constant warning of the effects of our own hardened hearts. All the more reason for believers to hear God's voice through his word and then examine our own hearts on a daily basis for signs of hardening. Are we turning away from God? Are we allowing the cares and concerns of the world to override what God has given to us today, the peace that he's given us? Verses 16 through 19, the author draws a subtle but clear parallel between the historical experience of the Old Testament Israelites and the spiritual experience of the New Testament believers of that day. For any among you who might think, that will never happen to me, as it says in 16 and 17, proves that it can happen to any of us. None of us beyond being susceptible to a hardened heart if we don't constantly bathe ourselves in God's word and go to him and fellowship with believers as we should. That gives us our strength. It proves that we do have the strength to do it, but not of our own selves, but through Jesus Christ and our fellowship with each other. Those who came out of Egypt under leadership of Moses, they had seen astonishing and wondrous signs and wonders and miracles. That deliverance out of Egypt. But they were also the later the ones who provoked God and sinned, leading to punishment and wilderness. Now, verses 7 through 19 in our passage today, against hard-heartedness are, simp are simply sobering to understand what we need to do as believers. Unbelief has serious consequences for those who have, have not accepted Christ, those non-Christians, who may resist the opportunity to trust Christ until it's too late until they have no more todays. And for those of us who have accepted Christ, who are Christians, my wash thinks I'm talking to him. Um, for those of us who are believers, we still have the tendency to fall back into our old ways. We have to be careful that we don't allow sin to encroach into our lives. Hardness toward the things of an obedient Christian life. It shuts our gates to that joyous rest and intimate fellowship with the Savior, just as the Israelites in the wilderness did not enter the promised land, those who had rejected him. Christ offers a spiritual rest, the eternal rest, which is far superior to that temporal rest that Moses promised in the promised land. Now, the author of Hebrews helped his audience understand us this warning by looking back to the Israelites and what they went through. He says, look back. 
Don't do what they did in the rebellion. The historical situation shaped their corporate memory of those Israelites in the Old Testament. The Jewish believers under the, his audience, under Moses' leadership, the ancient Israelites suffered for 40 years in the wilderness. And it was because of their unbelief. They were deceived by sin. They provoked God time and time again, and finally God drew a line in his hand and said, no more. Everybody that's 20 years older and older and has been in the registration will not enter into that rest, into that promised land. They decided to choose their own way instead of God's way. And then the author calls us to look inward, to care for our own sinister hearts or the tendency to have that heart that turns from God. But if we leave this warning just in those first century Christians saying, well, that was okay for those Jewish Christians that the Hebrew author was writing to. And we miss the point entirely. The hard-heartedness is not a disease limited to those Hebrew Christians of that day. There's never been a man-made cure for a hardened heart. No amount of self-reform can protect us from that hard-heartedness. And this is the warning of Hebrews chapter 3, and it needs to be taken to heart by all of us. So what's our application today of this passage? Look on your other side of your bulletin insert. The application for Hebrews 3, verses 7 through 19 is a backward glance, an inward look, and an upward call. Now, most of us know how to prevent heart disease, physical heart disease today. We know at least what we should do, whether we do it or not. We shouldn't be smoking. We should exercise regularly. We shouldn't, or we should eat sensibly. We should monitor our cholesterol on a frequent basis. However, what do we do to prevent a spiritual heart disease? And that's the answer. We have two points here in your bulletin insert. How do we prevent spiritual heart disease? Well, first, we need a daily dose of mutual encouragement from verse 13. We must encourage one another day after day so that the deceitfulness of sin will not harden us. When was the last time you did that for someone? Or they allowed someone to encourage you when you were struggling? It's more than just a simple phone call, maybe a word of encouragement or an encouraging email, although those are essential. It's actually getting down and helping each other life on life. The kind of fellowship that we find in a close-knit community such as we have here at Putnam, where we're here to encourage one another, to help and to strengthen one another, to get to know the struggles and temptations of other people and allow them to get to know your own struggles. Only then can we begin to really exhort and encourage one another in the way that's going to impact their lives on a significant manner. And second, we need a daily discipline of personal perseverance. We'll show forth the evidence of our faith is verse 14, the last part of it, if indeed we hold firm to our original conviction firmly to the very end. The endurance of our faith in times of testing and troubles demonstrates that truly we are ready for God's rest. We have come to a barrier that causes us and our stomachs to churn when we have to fall on our knees and seek refuge from God, we should do it instantly. He alone can give us the peace and the rest that we want. As Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, he says, Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. 
His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Living in Christ Jesus is living as a community of believers, encouraging and strengthening one another, helping each other. Only then can we understand what it really means to be in God's rest completely. And we'll explore that even more next week. Because next Sunday, we're going to continue our adventure through the book of Hebrews. As I mentioned before, the first seven messages cover the area of Christ as superior in his person. And next week, the message title will be, Stop Churning and Start Resting. So many of us are churned on a daily basis. We don't take time to rest like we need to as believers, to encourage one another, to rest in the fact that God's peace is beyond our comprehension, where we can have peace even in the midst of struggles. And that's what we need to do. So please read Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 and 11 in preparation for next week's message. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for the example of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness is an example that we do not want to follow. We thank you for the author of Hebrews who took your Old Testament scriptures and applied them to these New Testament believers and to us, Father. Help us not to turn away from you, not to harden our voice. Let us hear your voice and not to harden our hearts as they did in the Old Testament, but to mutually encourage one another as believers today, not tomorrow, not next week, not some point in the future, but may we find your rest today. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I pray that this message was a blessing and a time of learning from God's Word. Thank you so much for allowing me to be your guide, your mentor, but most importantly, I am your friend as I serve you through the Wisdom Trek podcast and journal each day. And as we take this trek of life together, let us always live abundantly, love unconditionally, listen intentionally, learn continuously, lend to others generously, lead with integrity, and leave a living legacy each day. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, reminding you to keep moving forward, enjoy your journey, and create a great day every day. See you next time for more wisdom from God's Word.